Um, so, I wonder if this word is in the Scrabble dictionary, and I'm betting it's not. C-L-A-S-S-I-S. -S -S -S. When I became ordained in the Reformed Church in America, I was told that my churches that I would be in association with were part of the city classes, C-L-A-S-S-I-S, -S -S, to which I responded, what is a classis? So you're in an old denomination when they choose the Latin word for a fleet of ships. Okay, there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> a little trivia for you. Uh, I say all that because I'm about to say that it's my privilege to welcome Francis Nelson, the president of our city classis. Uh, you know, it was in the prayers of the people earlier, giving thanks to God for enabling us to host our city classes gathering uh, for spring, winter, spring 2023 here in Chicago with uh, the help of the good people at LaSalle Street Church and their wonderful Cornerstone facility. We managed to pull that off. A lot of your volunteer hours of help and support and Lee and Calvin's, we're grateful for that. Artie and the musicians that came and did a wonderful worship service. Thought Francis is in town. A couple of our elders forward thinking enough, said, hey, we should invite her to preach. And I said, yeah, you're exactly right. And uh, so she stayed over an extra day. Francis, I count as a colleague, but also as a friend. We're happy to have you here. Come and bring the word to us this morning. Yes. That's perfect. Thank you. Good morning, Grace Chicago. It is awesome to be here. He stole my thunder. The welcome that Grace Chicago gave to City Classes was, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. We are very grateful. You welcome people from Philadelphia, New Jersey. I'm from California, Northern and Southern California all over the place, and we were so glad to be here and warmly welcomed in the chilly weather. So thank you for welcoming us then and now. Last weekend, as I was preparing to be here today, I read an article in the Washington Post. It was about a young Afghan woman. I'm going to share it with you. After her stepfather sold her into marriage at the age of 13 to support his drug habit, the young Afghan woman fought for years to escape an abusive husband. She eventually fled his home, secured a divorce, and remarried. She recalled, now under Taliban rule, she's suddenly on the run again, at risk of imprisonment for adultery. The woman, originally from a rural area, had been safely living in an urban area for several years. But when the previous government was ousted, the legal system and security forces that once shielded her dissolved overnight. The woman, now 22, now, said she began to get threatening calls from her ex-husband just weeks after the Taliban takeover. He told her that he had informed Taliban members in her home village about what she had done and that they were helping him to find her and seek revenge. Last year, her second husband abandoned her, 
fearing that he could also be charged with adultery because their marriage was no longer considered valid. She was left behind with two young daughters from her first marriage and four months, pre months pregnant with him. I never heard from him again, she said. Her neighbors started asking questions about where her husband was. The Taliban security forces were routinely conducting house-to-house -house searches. So she said she fled with her daughters to another area. Since then, she has moved four times and hasn't seen the rest of her family, fearing that a visit could help her ex-husband track them down. The article goes on to tell more of her story and the story of other women like her. This is happening today, now, far away, on the other side of the world. The gospel reading this morning is from John chapter 4. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I give will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. 
Just then, his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or what do you, why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her jar, went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that, that this is truly the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. Between the words that are spoken and the words that are heard, may the Spirit of God be present. Amen. In 12-step recovery meetings, people tell their stories with a format, what they were like, what happened, and what they are like now. The before story, what it was like, is basically some version of first it was fun, then it was fun with problems. Then it was problems. The after story, what it's like now, is one of transformation. It's recovery within a community, working to amend the wreckage of their lives, and coming to a new relationship with God, with themselves, and with others. But it's in the middle part that there is redemption, where we see a miracle, what happens. It's some version of the story of that last great pathetic binge of some sort to hold on and to hold it together. The moment despair turns first to a glimmer, then to a flash of hope, the moment of surrender. Two strangers meet on a deserted road, a man tired and thirsty and a lone woman doing her chores. They meet at a well. So part one, I was told sermons have to have three parts. So I'm trying to do the right thing here. Part one, me? You're kidding, right? In today's passage, we see Jesus in the middle of the day, hot, tired, thirsty. He's found a well, but he has nothing to draw water with. Enter our heroine, a woman who has been dealt a bad, as bad a hand as any. Here's the before picture, what she was like. Number one, she's a Samaritan, a lowlife. I'll explain that in a bit. 
She's a woman. She's alone. First, she's a Samaritan. Just prior to today's text, John mentions that Jesus had to go through Samaria on his journey. Samaria is between Jerusalem to the south and Galilee to the north. When Assyria and Babylon conquered Israel, during the previous 700 years, those Jews who weren't exiled by their conquerors, the left-behind ones, had intermarried with the foreigners who had, brought, who had been brought in to populate the land. When the exiled Jews returned, having kept themselves pure by not intermarrying or worshiping their captors' gods, they considered these residents mongrels, mutts. They considered them undesirable and dangerous. They considered them dogs. Jews would go the long way around just to avoid Samaria. But Jesus goes through Samaria because, of course, he does. It's who he is. So now, number two, second, she's a woman. And there's a social protocol in place. Women have no status without reference to the men who they are attached to and who they are supported by. In public, men do not talk to women who are not their wives. Third, she's alone. Women take this, make this trek to fetch water with their friends, with their neighbors, in a social group. And they do it early in the morning before the sun is high overhead. But this woman is alone. She's here in the middle of the day. She's here isolated. She's here hoping not to be seen. No friends to make the journey easier and no band of companions in case something hard, bad comes up in case of danger. And finally, she's horrified. She's vulnerable and she knows it. It is shameful to be isolated like this, to be defenseless. She is the quintessential outsider. And because she's an outsider, she cannot hide. Also, it's shocking to her that she needs to inform this man. Does he not know the rules? What audacity he has to speak to her like this. Doesn't he know? Does he not know? How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? She has to tell him she isn't worthy of his request. And she's shamed by having to tell him she isn't worthy of his request. He should know. She shouldn't have to point out the obvious. So part three, the first evangelist. If we jump ahead in the passage, she takes her story back to town. She goes back to her people, who she doesn't want to be around, who she wants to hide from, and she tells them what she's heard. She tells them who she's talked with, and they listen, and they believe her. They give her the dignity and the credibility to follow her story down and find Jesus for themselves. It's a beautiful ending, yes? Her people are compelled to seek Jesus because of her encounter with him. A Hollywood ending. Amen and amen. Wait, we went from part one to part three. Wasn't there a second part? Yes, it's what I referred to before as redemption, part two, redemption, in the middle. Back to this moment at the well. 
Confronted by this oblivious foreigner, the woman pushes back. Woman, why are you, a Jew, asking me, a woman, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jesus, if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for living water. Woman, that's crazy. You've got no bucket. How are you going to get this water? Are you greater than our revered ancestor Jacob who dug and gave us this well? Jesus, everyone who drinks of this water here will be thirsty again. Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty. The water I give brings eternal life. Woman, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty again and I won't ever have to come back here again. She tries to get him to leave her alone by confronting his breach in etiquette, but Jesus doesn't back off. He offers her something bigger. He offers her unobtainium. He offers her living water. And she bites. Sir, give me this water. Give me this water so that I may never thirst again. So now she's curious. She's eager to know more. She wants what he's got. Jesus has her full attention, and he gives her an impossible task. Go, get your husband, and come back. We'll talk. Remember when I said earlier that she was alone? She was out in the middle of the day with no companions. That is alone, vulnerable to the elements and to foreigners, no support. But Jesus now goes deeper. Jesus, go get your husband. Woman, I don't have one. Jesus, yep, you've had five, and the man you're with now is not your husband. That's pretty direct. Is it also harsh? It is clear that this woman has had a life of one disruption after another. Many, if not most, of the sermons I've heard and the books that refer to her cast her as a slut. A woman known to be immoral and a prostitute. And maybe she was. But I'd argue that this is not the point. Look at the context. In that time, women did not divorce. They were divorced. So the five husbands she had had could have died. Or they may have sent her away because for one reason or another, she didn't please them. Perhaps she was a bad cook. Maybe she was barren and couldn't produce an heir. Women in those days were not the ones who got to pick their spouses. They were usually chosen for them. So we have no idea. We really don't why she had five husbands. We don't know why she was living with a man who was not her husband. Whatever her circumstance and whatever her place in the society of her day, it's important that we not use today's lens to look it back through history and to judge her. There is nothing in the text that implies that either Jesus or the author in any way judges her as unworthy or morally beneath them. Since she arrives at the well in the middle of the day though, we can infer that there's something that's not, that is not quite right. But again, John neither explains nor judges. We just have to stay curious. And I wonder now, at this point, 
about the Afghan woman I talked about earlier. How is her reputation in her context casting her story? I don't know. So Jesus responds to the woman by acknowledging that she doesn't have a husband, by telling her she's had five, and by telling her that now she's with a man who is not her husband. So he knows her. He knows her. She could go a few ways with this, but she chooses to deflect by raising the subject of their conflicting religious traditions. Woman, so you're a prophet. Wait, tell me this. Our ancestors worship God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the place for worship, right? In other words, let's talk about this. Let's talk about religion, not about me. Jesus counters. Look, the whole world of worship is about to change now, radically. Woman, yes, the Messiah is coming, and he's going to tell us all things. Jesus, yeah, you're talking to him, and I am telling you. At this point, Jesus' friends return, interrupt the conversation, and forgetting her bucket, the woman rushes back to town proclaiming that she has met the Messiah, one who tells her, I am the Messiah. She goes back to town and talks about it with people she was hiding from. So there's the story, what she was like, what happened, and what she's like now. Somewhere in those final words, from the point Jesus reveals her life, her cycle of husbands, to when he reveals to her the truth that he's the Messiah, is this woman's redemption. She's an outsider, and we can only guess why. Is she immoral? Is she just weird? Is she doomed? We can speculate why she's avoiding others and alone, but Jesus actually does not care. And that's really good news, because much of the weight of being an outsider is the judgment, the judgment and the shame that comes with it. Now, all of a sudden, the ultimate judge says to her, so? He looks at her and he says, so you have had nothing but doomed relationships and a life of really hard knocks. I am here. I am looking at you. I see you. I came through this God-forsaken land to find you. We usually take the long way around, but I wanted to spend a moment with you. We can marvel at her transformation, and I marvel too at what isn't in this story. Jesus doesn't point out what's wrong with her. There's no report that he tells her what she needs to change, how to clean up her act. And curiously, he does not send her on a mission. He doesn't tell her where to go, what to say, what to do. He offers her life. He tells her who he is. It's kind of mind-bending when you think about it because suddenly, no longer hiding and silent and no longer thirsty, she runs back to town, grabs everyone, tells them what's happened to her, 
and inviting them to come out and meet him. And they do. They hear her. They see her. They believe her. They want what she has. And they too are transformed. And then Jesus stays with them for two days. And that is a story worth leaning into. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.